All right. Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so excited that you're here with us this morning. If you're joining us online, hello. I want to kind of introduce a new sermon series that we're starting for the month of November. You see, November for me begins like the holidays. I know some of you have already put up your Christmas trees. Shame on you. Um, come on. Uh, do better. But, uh, but after Halloween, so I went to Walmart on Halloween, and they were already getting rid of all that Halloween junk, and they were already bringing out the Thanksgiving and the Christmas decorations. Like, Walmart gets it. But, but November really represents the beginning of the holiday season for a lot of us. And during the holiday season, often what we do is we, we travel. We often go home. Now, if, you, if you're not from here, and you have to travel to go home, when you go home, there are a lot of emotions that are connected with that. Whether that be those, those times that you spend with your grandmother, maybe your aunts and your uncles, cousins, all those big family gatherings. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is to talk about those emotions that kind of remind us like what it feels like to go home. Now for me, going home always represents eating. Uh, it's shocking, I know, the audacity. But I love those big family meals where I get to see my, my cousins, my aunts, uncles that I haven't seen in forever. And we sit down and we have a meal. And so what I wanted to do also is to tie that into a lot of the foods that we see at those meals and those gatherings. And I picked four items to talk about over the next few weeks. Now if you walked in this morning, what I wanted you to do is smell the aroma of an apple pie. You know, maybe you noticed that, maybe you didn't. Now you're hopefully smelling it in this room here. But that's what we're trying to do each week, is to kind of make you think about those, those meals, those items that you often see at Thanksgiving or at Christmas. For me, one of the staples at our family gatherings was the apple pie. Uh, we, I remember seeing this at that dessert table that was always set away, kind of in eye shot. So it was for, as a kid, it was like if you ate all of your meal, that apple pie was just a little bit out of reach, knowing that you had to clean the plate just to get that, that desired dessert that you wanted. And so I had this idea of getting together with somebody and, and making an apple pie. Now, I've got a short video that I'm going to show you because later this afternoon, we're going to put the rest of the video on our show, social media channels. But if you've got that video ready, Rob, let's roll it. It's just 20 seconds. I heard making the apple pie is really easy, so that's what I'm going to do. But I think we're missing something. A chef's hats. But Judy, what do we need to make an apple pie? You only need a few ingredients. Apple, sugar, flour, cinnamon, salt, butter, and pie crust. And water. And water. And an egg. So I sat down with my kids to make what I immediately realized was not a simple apple pie. Um, the two sous chefs that I had made it difficult. We violated a lot of health code standards, which is why those apple pies are not present here today. I wasn't going to record it and then be like, who wants to try this? Um, but what I did online was I found a simple apple pie recipe. And so this afternoon, we're going to post that video of my kids making apple pie. If you want to do that, obviously you can, or you can just say, hey, these kids did a cute job. And then each week, I want to introduce a different recipe with the different items that we're going to talk about, just to kind of go a little bit deeper in this. But I wanted to start this morning with the apple pie, with the apple pie. <laughs> yeah, you might have to carry this one. 
Yeah, I think it's, I'm shot. So, uh, with the apple pie, there is nothing more American than the apple pie, especially because it's, it's really not American at all, which actually kind of makes it American in the sense that it isn't really something that America created. The apple pie originated in England, and it had clear influences from France, from the Netherlands, and also the, the Ottoman Empire, centuries before the pilgrims set foot on Plymouth Rock. Now, the apple pie was eventually brought to colonies by European settlers. And in the first American cookbook here that we see from Amelia Simmons, she presented two different recipes of the apple pie. It's kind of the first time that we see it in Americana culture with this cookbook. But the apple pie has always been this staple of of a kind of American meals, American gatherings. I'm still not getting this clicker. Okay, Rob, me and you, we're in tune. Perfect. So, the reason I picked the apple pie is not because it's necessarily like a, a simple recipe to do, especially if you're an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. That's kind of disastrous. But I picked it because when the apple pie was created, when they started making it, and especially once uh, European settlers came to America, it was deemed as this easy and affordable meal. More specifically, it was something simple that everyone could make, that everybody could reach to. I love that idea with the apple pie. Because when I think about the apple pie at my family gatherings, I think about how it was just always there. It was always there for everyone who was in attendance. Nobody had to answer a quiz or, or go through Nanny's questions. You, just, you had access to the apple pie. Now the idea of simplicity comes to mind when we talk about the apple pie like this too. And as, as we connect the dots between food and church, I think it's important for us to be a church that is simple, that's accessible to all, easy to get in, in, uh, involved in, easy to get engaged with. Paul talks about the idea of simplicity in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where he writes, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Now, the King James Bible translates this a little bit differently, and, and I like that translation better, but I, I kind of roll with the NIV a lot. But the, the King James Bible translates this to, For God is not a God of confusion. God does not ever want anything to be difficult or challenging to people. Whether God's message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, should be simple and accessible to all. But often as humans, we complicate things, we make things difficult. And dare I say, the church at times also does this. We present hurdles and quizzes and difficulties and challenges for people to get involved in our communities. In their book, Simple Church, Tom Rainer and Eric Geiger write that a simple church is a congregation designed around a straightforward strategic process that moves people through the stages of spiritual growth. Friends, a lot of times when churches get in trouble, they go through difficult seasons, it's when things have gotten too difficult or complicated. It's not necessarily because of frustration, but more so because of exhaustion. People take on more than they can handle. Or a church hasn't adjusted to its new future. But Paul also adds in 2 Corinthians something similar to this. He talks about the simplicity that we need to adhere to. In his, letter to the, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he continues in verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, 
If you receive a different spirit from the one you've received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, Paul is talking here in this context about false preachers. But hopefully, by by verse 4, you understand that there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of mud there. The language that Paul is using is expressing that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of confusion and hurdles in this community, which is why in verse 3 he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be, will let, will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The Greek actually translate this, translates this to a, a simple devotion to Christ. See, Paul is leaning into something that is profound to me in churches. Because I think churches have made things very difficult and complicated for a lot of people. When the example and the model of church that we are given in the New Testament, but also in the gospel of Jesus, is of simplicity, of accessibility, of ease. There shouldn't be challenges, there shouldn't be hurdles for individuals to want to be a part of a church community. But it's not just Paul who talks about this. Because the simplicity that Paul expresses isn't just something that is made up, that he's made up. It's something that he sees in the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus is getting this. The idea of simplicity in the mind of Jesus comes from a reaction to what the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees are following something called the mitzvah. Uh, Rob, it's that old-looking picture. Perfect. Um, uh, It's the mitzvah. The mitzvah literally translates to burdens. And what this is, is a collection of 613 commandments. Now, about 200 of these are affirmative commands, and they kind of relate to the human body as as they understood it. But there's also 365 negative commands in this. So, one negative command for every day of our calendar. Super fun. But the mitzvah has 613 commands to it. Now, we, we don't follow those 613 commands. But there would have been a lot of people in Jesus' audience that would have. And so I want you to understand that the mitzvah thing is, is right behind that. It's in their minds when they ask this question that we see in Matthew 22, verse 36. Where Jesus is asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now we, we often look at this as like the Ten Commandments. But I, I want you to see it in this broader sense of how they would have understood what it looks like to keep the law. Because the best, the holiest people, the people who God was proud of, they would have kept all 613 of these commandments. Now Jesus knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. Jesus could have said anything in response to this. But I want you to see what Jesus does. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the Shema he's referencing from Deuteronomy. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the, and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do you see what Jesus just did? He took something that was extremely complicated, that was difficult to attain, that presented hurdles for people to have access to God, and he said, let's make it simple. You know of 613 commandments, I'm going to give you two. Love God and love your neighbor. One of the, the, the passages and themes that I'm obsessed with in Scripture is when Jesus talks about children. I have kids, and so the, my, my references to children are often involving candy and stickiness and stuff like that. But Jesus sees children as these innocent individuals 
who do not see all the complicated things that we often insert into our church worlds. And so when Jesus talks about have faith like a child, he's saying have faith like a kid because when they think of the world, they think of loving God and loving their neighbor. When Judas sits next to somebody at school, he doesn't ask them, hey, where are you from? What have you been through? What scripture do you read? What translation do you follow? He doesn't do that. That's just his neighbor. That's how kids think. That's how they operate. See, Jesus is taking something that the world, that the church has made difficult, and he's simplifying it. He said, if there's, there's two commandments that you need to be aware of to love God and love your neighbor. But often, what do we do? We take the simplicity that is encouraged through the gospel of Jesus Christ and we make it difficult. We see this in the very story of Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, love God, love your neighbor, what is the first question that we often ask? I mean, who's our neighbor? Like, who do we, I mean, na- can you define neighbor for me? Because, again, we are trying to add hurdles and difficulties in who has access to the gospel, and more specifically, who we have to love. Jesus is offering us a simple way, a void of clutter. But yet often what we want to do when Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor, is we start asking questions and we wonder, how can we make this a little more difficult? But it's not just Matthew 22 where Jesus irons out a simple way to live, a simple way to exist. Jesus does this in the very chapter before this, in Matthew 21, the cleansing of the temple. I love this passage for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons why I really love it is because we get to see a wide range of emotions of Jesus that we often don't get to see. We're not doing these stories at VBS or Children's Church. We don't want kids to have permission to turn over tables and ruin dinners and stuff like that. It'd be like Jesus. And they're like, Matthew 21, you bet it. Yeah, I will. But in Matthew 21, we see this, this version of Jesus that often we're uncomfortable with. I mean, we can just say it out loud. Jesus is angry in this passage. And if you need to you know, make it fit in your world, it's a just anger. What they are doing is wrong. But this passage begins in verse 12, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. There's a lot of stuff happening in this community, in the temple here. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus is mad. He's even that thing that parents that we often do, well, we're not mad, we're disappointed. You're getting that too. You're getting a just anger, but you're getting a lot of disappointment too. And we, we know that, that Jesus makes all of these people leave. And often when this sermon is preached, when the text of Matthew 21 is used, what we often do is we just look at these two verses. And we lean into it, that Jesus cleanses the temple. But if we're going to stay and track along with this idea of simplicity, I want you to see what happens in the next verse. Because in verse 14, the very next verse says, All the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And we often stop with that verse. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And we ignore And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. I don't know why we often overlook this. Because when we include it, I promise you it makes a way better sermon. Because you see what just happened? 
all the junk is removed. All of the clutter, all of the distractions are finally gone in the temple. No one is selling doves. No one is selling pigeons. None of that stuff that God does not want to happen in the house of God is happening anymore. And now that all of that has been removed, all of that is gone, the work of God can happen. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The very people who did not have access to Jesus beforehand, who couldn't get to Jesus because there was so much in their way. But when Jesus cleanses the temple, that is when good things can happen. I mentioned this already, but one of the things that we often do in church is we make things difficult. In our class this morning, we were talking about boundaries. And I think the reason why we often make things difficult in church, and by that I mean that we often add a lot of clutter, often it's unintentional. Because what we often try to do in church is we want to say that we have however many members and we have a thousand ministries for this. Because when we have so much stuff going on, it makes us look good. But when you're doing so much, there's often things that fall in between the cracks. I think there's a reason why Jesus gives us this this simple idea of church. It's to remove the clutter so that the work of God can be done. You may be in a season right now where your life feels overwhelmed. You may have a lot of different things going on. You may feel like you're balancing a lot of different things in your life. It may be time to simplify things, to start saying no, to start removing some of the clutter so that the work of God can be done in your life. Jesus was all about simplicity. We see this in the commands that he gives us in Matthew 22. We see this in the way that he removes all the clutter in Matthew 21. But even before any of that, to follow Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you see immediately what Jesus does? There's not a quiz. There aren't a bunch of hurdles that somebody has to go through. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. It's simple. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This verse comes... Ten chapters before Jesus starts cleansing the temple. Eleven chapters, basic math. Eleven chapters before Jesus says, sorry, it was really silly. uh, Before Jesus even talks about the two commandments. He's already laying the foundation to follow him. It must be simple. It must be easy. From the beginning of this church, simplicity has been a driving force. This church has never been a church that wants to present hurdles for individuals. Instead of hurdles, we want to have chairs for people, making sure that they know that you don't have to do all these things. You don't have to make sure that your life is in complete order. You don't have to look all prim and proper to be a part of this church. All you've got to do is recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, this church has always been and will always be a church that makes room versus adding hurdles. This church will always be a place where people feel welcomed because at the end of the day, We want this church to be a place that feels like home. Let's stand.